You know your finale's got a lot of climaxes when the captain gets flushed into open space before the teaser's over. Vigil, please. Heinous trip at warp five. My name is Joseph. Freedom isn't free. All right. Sometimes it costs a night in a Klingon flea-infested bed. I'm your co-host, Peter. Peter, what episode of Enterprise that we're going to endeavor to to fully uh, discuss in one episode this week? Tall order these days. This is going to be episode uh, six out of season four, The Augments, first aired November 12th. Got that? We're on November 24th. We might have been able to make these things line up if uh, we didn't spend two episodes apiece on the last two episodes. Uh, Initial premiere date was 2004, written by Michael Sussman, directed by LeVar Burton. And this is one of those rare situations where it was not complete dog shit. No. uh, Despite coming out of LeVar's capable hands. Even season four of Enterprise is so powerful that even LeVar Burton cannot keep it down. Um, You are right, though. Uh, I will say that it has been very difficult for me (laughs) limiting myself to one episode of Star Trek uh, per Per paycheck, <laughs> right? We've been a bi-weekly format here. Um, it was fun discussing those other episodes at length that we did, but yeah, I'm ready to get back to one episode a week. It's hard to pace myself, especially now that stuff's like you know pretty good. Before we launch into the episode, there was one thing from uh, our review from a couple weeks ago as we were starting uh, Cold Station Twelve uh, that uh, Calais Cr. I don't know how the hell you'd pronounce that on our Discord. Brought up. It's like, you know, five paragraphs. So I I read it and it was about what we were discussing just as we are ending about uh, folks that review things from a 100% irony comedy perspective and never take the material seriously. That kind of makes it difficult to listen to. And ventured through how a lot of 80s and 90s television stands the test of time and why. Like, why is it compelling? Why are shows like Friends and Seinfeld feel extremely timeless and uh, easy to revisit? Uh, Why does Dragnet, a show that was, it was a radio show before it was even a television show, still, like, works as drama? Like, what makes this possible? And um, I think we've brushed up against this before. Limitations breed a level of creativity that can endure through different cultural milieu because it's just compelling in its own right. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Dragnet's the key part of that argument because you can take friends, uh, next generation, some of this other stuff. And I would say that we have a biased viewpoint because that was what was on TV when we were teenagers consuming a lot of TV and there's an availability bias at play. Um, you know, we as late thirties, early forties, uh, we're in control of the world right now and we have all the money and the income. So pandering to us is how you're going to get those subscriptions to your streaming services, friends being a powerhouse, uh, to friends and Seinfeld to like get on a streaming service to, to bring viewers in. But then you bring up Dragnet, which is well outside of our age demographic. Oh yeah. Uh, and still going. Um, I had ventured to say that you know linear tv used to be about selling ad space and to to fill in as many to take an hour-long tv slot 
you got a 45 minute TV show and the rest to fill that hour out is commercials. And how do you keep people tuned in when you're pushing? What's a commercial block traditionally three minutes? Something like that, at least if they're if yeah, five of them. Yeah. Over a course of an you get hour, these little cliffhangers, you know, up. Oh, Something happened, cut to commercial, man, I want to see what happened. I'm going to stick around here long enough to get back to the part I want to watch. Uh, they were making TV back then to keep the audience ass in the seat through an ad block. The byproduct is you were making compelling television. Um, then you switch over to streaming and you've got this ability to wander to the detriment of the show. Sometimes not everything can pull it off uh, a Game of Thrones or um, season one Westworld or the other stuff we're always blowing. A lot of this stuff now just gets too deep in the weeds and it loses people. And I look at a lot of the the current streaming stuff out there and it's like, oh man, what was Ahsoka, right? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Four episodes in like, no fucking way. There was something else I was. Yeah, oh, it had six uh, total. It was six total. Some were 55 minutes, some were like 40 minutes. So it was regular in, in length. And uh, not a bit of it was actually compelling. My new thing that I started watching with my wife is Sopranos. And I got to rearrange my pantheon of good TV because I've never seen. Have you watched Sopranos? I, I, I'm smiling because it's just it's it's nice to meet someone, someone that I've known quite well for for such a long time that I didn't know, didn't know how good it was. You know, I'm happy for you. I'm happy about what you're experiencing. I'm happy too. I mean, certainly it's something I've always been aware of, but I didn't have HBO back in the day. And normally mafia shows and movies really aren't my thing. I was spoiled for the fact that for whatever reason, my undergraduate education, because I went to a place that was a ridiculously bougie school, had HBO as part of the cable package. Like in every dorm room. Well, so I got to see all this. (laughs) I, we're, we're getting too deep in the weeds, but I don't know how you would watch this thing. Classic HBO is a real mystery to me. Anyways, I have never seen a TV show that has come out of the gate swinging so hard so quickly that 10 minutes into the first episode, again, I'm not really a mafia guy. And I'm like, damn, this is compelling, gripping, uh, humorous, just well written and well acted. And, uh, you know, we talk about Game of Thrones and, and really Battlestar Galactica as like the jump off point. But this might be the um, the christening of the golden age of television. You know, my wife was real resistant at watching. We got one or two episodes in and then she's the gun to my head. Now we're watching two episodes a night. Jesus. Right. <laughs> Save you that know? stuff, man. They're not making any more of it. I know, but, you know, it's there. and. I mean, you're right. It is considered the jumping off point of the golden age of television, that show and that show specifically. And it's part of this, this pantheon of early 2000s innovations in the television space led almost exclusively by HBO. And only later on did it get picked up by places like AMC with breaking bad most uh, prominently and mm-hmm. uh, to turning television into an entirely new form of a medium and uh, what it can do and how you can use it. That was elevated above what we're reviewing right now in a lot of ways, right? Breaking uh, so Bad's the big thing I want to keep an eye on. Because conceptually, Breaking Bad and Sopranos are the same show, and it's about a guy who is likable, 
uh, but he is ultimately evil. Yes. And how the show will treat that character and the other characters involved in this criminal enterprise by the end. Um, if the things that happen in Breaking Bad are derivative of Sopranos or if they've gone in a completely new direction. So uh, anyways, getting back to my point, the long format TV shows that uh, HBO stuff, which is really a precursor to streaming where you don't have the allowances for commercial breaks or the necessity to build these little cliffhangers to get people back in there. Them being good, I think is an exception to the rule that you've got really outstanding pieces like Sopranos, Game of Thrones, uh, some of these other really the good wire stories. Rome. There's well, well that's TV show. TV. And I guess, you know, that's why I'm not putting breaking bad in there. Cause breaking bad, still a linear product, but a lot of the stuff that's just, uh, streaming, you get someone at the script helm who is not exceptional and they build stuff that just, you know, you've got real drag on boring shit episodes. The golden age of television stuff worked because it was the golden age of television stuff. Like the best it's ever been done is better than this. But when you leave that format that they used to elevate the dish, so to speak, right. And give that to someone who is not adept at using the tools. They make something that's below replacement level because they don't have that to, to bring all the way back around that inborn advantage of having to create this three act play where at the end of each act, you have to leave your audience wanting more enough to survive three minutes of commercials. And they pull this is this episode is a perfect example of an execution of that format in a way that doesn't have to be high art to be extremely engaging to its audience and leave you very satisfied at the end. You're saying high art. And I'm just thinking of that screenshot I posted in the trauma support group of her laying in bed with ice pick nipples. (laughs) Right. Right. Like, (laughs) damn, she was so cold, man. Like what was going on with the set that day? What was going on with LeVar Burton? (laughs) Like, yeah. Like did LeVar look and see, look into the monitor and say, okay, hold on. Get the ice cubes. Call, 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 call the costume people and warm this poor girl up. All right. They're poking I out. I think it's quite the opposite. What was his last episode that he directed? Oh, let's take a look. Oh, memory alpha can tell us. Cause I remember the last time we talked about a LeVar Burton episode, there was some real shameful, sexy times there as well. That led us to question his, uh, uh, the forgotten, uh, similitude. Oh yeah. So, Similitude was very sexy. The Forgotten was not. Man, you know, you bagged on LeVar here a lot, and he had some uh, season three bangers. Sure did. We did not respect that. Similitude opens with her vagina hanging over his face, right? That is correct. No, it was boob. It was uh, it was Paul's boobs hanging over Tripp's face, and we were like, come on, LeVar. Um, again, Getting into this episode, what a boon and a blessing that this was a three-plot arc that uh, my dream come true of most of the good Voyager episodes, a lot of the good Enterprise episodes is you're putting in the the time slots, you're giving the episode, a lot, the script allowances to really flesh these stories out. 
Uh, I think I liked the previous entry, Cold 12. I think I like Cold 12 more than this one overall, uh, but that's because entries one and two into this Augments arc was able to do a lot of that emotional building, so you could have a really solid um, action adventure here exactly. for the yeah. resolution. Yeah, that's it. I agree that Cold Station 12 was the more compelling drama. The whole point is that set up the stakes so that you can kind of go more action adventure in the last one. Not to say that there isn't some standout scenes, but as it does make it easier to talk about because a lot of this is just a giant chase sequence, right? Like a multi-part chase sequence. And it starts with a ticking time bomb that we had last episode, which is Cold Station 12 is about to be completely overrun by every space disease ever. Archer has to get into the, the tube to do the thing that will prevent this. Uh, you know, we've got uh, uh, jump to conclusions, Matt, uh, our guy there, you, you know, given Dr. The, Lucas. Yeah. Given the updates, what's going on. He's the map guy in the chair. Let's, let's tap the pause button here. All right. Um, Cold Station 12, we really beat the piss out of the station design choice to have a man-sized tube that you could fill with poison from your poison bank. Right. Yes. You had you had a kill box just suspiciously in your main lab. I can accept it. Hey, we need to bring a viral sample in. We've got a dedicated like banker's pneumatic tube that can suck poison out of the poison wall for science, right? Just a coincidence that it's man-sized. It was just cheaper to just design that way or whatever. Okay, I'll give you a pass, Cold Station 12, on that. The cockamamie belief that you can have the HVAC system directly tied to the poison bank. (laughs) So the station that's built around preserving the worst plagues known to the galaxy, you can bring those into every square inch of inhabitable space inside of this facility. Who was the general contractor that built it? Because if you tell me that it was anyone other than the Umbrella Corporation, there's a survival horror game that I need for Star Trek. Normally it's like, okay, real-time strategy ship combat or um, first-person shooter a la uh, Elite Forces. Here's the new entry we need. Okay, fuck this mobile game shit. Give me a survival horror game <laughs> where you're on Cold Station 12 fighting <laughs> Romulan, I'm sorry, uh, Vulcan zombies. Right. While poison gases are being blown out of all the vents. Of course, so, right, yeah. Absolutely fucking ridiculous. And the fact that the augments were able to just quickly program the, po- the poison bank to dump into the air conditioning tells you that that's like pre-established protocols <laughs> that they're just like clicking the box and applying. So then Archer's got to get in this fucking ridiculous ladder tube to get to the one point where he can like pull the microchips out and like feed him and the other thing. Cause that's, what's going to stop it. Switch over to that mode. Now I, the silliness that you can dump poison into the people spaces. Uh, this is the most important thing that can happen. Everybody's going to die a terrible death unless Archer is successful. There's a ladder that is 27 stories long. Why is Archer the only person on this fucking ladder? <laughs> Why isn't everybody on this ladder in case people start falling off of this fucking thing? You need like, someone else to go up there and do it. You can't be someone else run down. Does Come Cold on. Station 12 not have 
like maintenance guys that might be better suited than, hey, here's a fucking captain from some starship that just so happens to be here. Like, no, get Ted from fucking facilities. On the <laughs> he, he fixed it literally. Yeah. Look at he split, right? Like that's his job. That's what he's here to do. Oh, oh, oh. I'll take care of uh excuse no offense, Doc or uh Captain Archer, but let, let let our guys have, you know, their chance in the sunlight here. He gets up the ladder, he saves it, but wouldn't you know he's not able to move enough microchips to like save the rest of the facility? So he's protected the lab where the kill tube is, wherever he's currently sequestered, but He's going to suffer this fate. And what's the reason that they can't just beam everybody out of there? Is the asteroid too thick? Is that the issue? Uh, well, they don't establish that they can't. It's that Enterprise is too far away to have beamed them all out. That was our initial concern. When Enterprise got close enough, the interference from the core where Archer was prevented them from beaming him out because there was no immediate need to beam everyone else out at that point because they were mm-hmm. safe. So they kind of thread the needle there. Flimsy shit, but it's enough. Just enough. It's enough. And they, Archer comes up with, a, uh, he's like, all right, I, there's nothing I can bang my head against here, but I don't know. Maybe there's a new kink I can explore. Shoot the cap off of the tube I'm in. It's going to be in a space and be me before I be me it, <laughs> to the enterprise. It's, it's not suck. I think it's blow, right? You get blown yeah. into space. And then, yeah, uh, be me on. Now, this would be pretty dope. Uh, this would be pretty inventive if I didn't just watch Event Horizon. Event Horizon. Yeah, yeah. If Hey, if you're one of our patrons, you already know that, right? That has a fantastic version of the scene, the real version of the scene, the bloody <laughs> version of this scene. Yeah, uh, they, they PG'd boy, this one. <laughs> Did they ever? From going uh, beginning as the device that you were apprehensive to move cargo with, Boy, has a transport become a crutch for the Enterprise to rely on left and right ever since season three? Well, you know, the it, it's kind of makes sense. I kind of buy this arc of everyone had to get used to using it out of necessity against the Zindi. And now, well, now we're used to it. We're all mm-hmm. fine. Turns out this thing works pretty good. We'll Ooh, just keep I using it. I got a nail. Is there any way we could just beam the nail out? So I don't have to cut the skin back. Well, let me give it a shot. Uh, who is running the transporter? Because uh, Reed is in the room with uh, Professor Lucas. So it's a no-name running the transporter, right? Well, it's the guy who had the the twig beam to his brain in the third episode. <laughs> and they had to give him something new to do. <laughs> That's the guy you don't want. They, they caught him at the right time. It wasn't when he was yelling into the wall for no reason. Mm-hmm. Um, they jettisoned him out beam him over. I did like that he was like covered in dry ice. Like he does not get off scot free. Yeah, he's he looks worn the fuck out in this episode. And I really like that they kind of tried to give him that look even after he's been recovered, you know? When they beam him on the pad, he's covered in ice. Which is certainly like you said the PG thirteen or it's like the just the PG version of what we got to see in Event Horizon. I thought him sitting on the biobed later um, I'm sure we've all overdone it. On yeah, just strong like ashen, you know, just like not ashen. All of the blood vessels under his eyes are just completely blown out, and his eyes are like bloodshot red. Uh, I have 
thrown up so hard that I've blown out all the blood vessels, not my eyes, but like certainly. Oh, yeah. That red freckled patch under the eyes. I have done that to myself before, and I was glad to see that he had that. He looked more gruesome sitting there post recovery than he did on the transporter pad. Once they get Archer back, they start to talk. Okay, what are we going to do? The bird of prey we're chasing has entered Klingon space. So now things are going to get real weird. Cannot get caught doing this. And so they get trip to basically change the warp signature of the NX-01 so that it will look like a Klingon ship. And we're just going to try and bluff them. And we're not going to let them get within uh, visual range. And um, that's it. That's the plan. I like his line about, I can paint a bird of prey on the hull. Everyone looked at him like, not the time. Like, this <laughs> is, trip cool. is not funny. <laughs> Back to trip is a great engineer. Uh, it doesn't seem impressive that he's altering the warp signature because it's a tried and true next gen trick. But this is ostensibly the first time that we've seen this take place in the right. Star Trek universe, right? Like this, he's just pioneered a spoof. I'll never forget the line that they gave him in that episode where Flax is trying to operate the ship of like, you know, how hard it is to be the chief engineer of a starship. Like, I have to do theoretical physics on the fly every day. You can't teach someone how to do that. You just have to learn how to do that every day of your life. And sure enough, yeah, like, uh, yeah, I think I can do that. I think I can do that physics now that I'm out here and I'm thinking about it. I'm the first person to have to consider how you would do that. Yeah, I guess you could. Give me my ex-girlfriend to help. I do like get what they're trying to do there with the kind of sea scenes between T'Pol and, and, and trip over the course of the last three episodes, you know, that they're, they're awkward now because trip evidently sees T'Pol's marriage as making their relationship a no go. Which is the chivalrous thing to do, right? It's probably the correct default mode that you would expect Trip to be in. It's the gentlemanly, g- gentlemanly. But it's it's like T'Pol isn't saying that's the case. It's Trip that's saying that's the case. Well, which he's I found butthurt. interesting. He's butthurt, and that's what you got at the end of uh, was it? No, that was home. So that was season one, or that was uh, episode one for this season, episode three. But yeah. And that was him being, I'm sorry, that's, I, I will be retconning their World War II adventures. <laughs> they just never happened. The Command and Conquer Red Alert DLC was not purchased for my playthrough. Um, you know, he was real pissy the way that went out. You dragged me all the way out here and I thought it was for us to basically explore a relationship and instead I'm going to your fucking wedding. Like, I get it she could be verbalizing some things here. Like the scenes feel a little wasted just because I know we've only got 20 episodes this season, whatever direction they're going at a certain point. He's like, you know, come on, maybe this is for the best. It would have never worked out, blah, blah, blah. She could be like, well, that's not what I heard. Cause you know, I talked to my future self who told me that you're fucking amazing and that we need to be, we need to make this happen. Well, I, I I understand why they can't front load that or really like you have to tease this out a little bit because this is your relationship drama for the whole season. So you have to have some will they, won't they? 
because that's where the fun is. When you settle it, then you mm. kind of have to sh- transition to a different kind of uh, episode. So you want to extend out the will they, won't they for a bit. But, uh, you know, I think there's a lot of T'Pol's hesitance trying to make the small talk, trying to, like, stay connected to Trip because she doesn't exactly know what she's doing yet either. Um, and she doesn't like it. No. And, and the agreement that she's got with whatever his name is, is that they're married on paper, but she is going to be out in the galaxy on starships and not at home with him. It, it would it suggest that they have not been intimate with each other, nor really is she trying to, she's trying to avoid it. Yeah. And it's kind of more of a looming threat than a thing that's happened. And Trip is trying to separate himself from the relationship because you know, this, this is, this union is not something that he's going to be able to interfere with. And he knows that. And if they don't say out loud, like, you just want me to be your, your side piece, you know, like what, what is this? What are we doing? Right. Like, what would that, what would the parameters of our relationship even be? How does that work in Vulcan society? Speaking of rocky relationships over on the Klingon vessel, uh, you've got, uh, Eric soon, Rick Sanchez laying down what the plan is going to be moving forward. They have now absconded from cold station 12 with all of the augmented embryos. Uh, we know from, uh, the away team that Archer took down to Soong's former kindergarten, that there's incubation equipment that was, uh, removed. So Soong has the embryos, he's got incubation equipment, and his plan is to go to a rough patch of space. The Briar Patch from Star Trek Insurrection. There's a Klingon term for it that he is disdainful, and apparently, yeah, Soong dubbed it the Briar Patch. There's this real shitbag part of space that nobody wants to go to. The Klingons have not mapped it out. There's three potential uh, planets suitable for us to chill out on and we're going to go thaw the rest of these bad boys out. One of them has got these timeless aliens that Picard's going to make out with eventually. Boy, just think had I I love this episode because if Malik wasn't such a little piece of shit the cards could have been stacked in Soong's favor so hard that Yeah, I mean I think that's like the quiet tragedy, right? He was super close to nailing it. Like Soong fucks up a little bit, Malik fucks up a lot, and it's just comedy that despite having everything in their favor, they managed to fuck this thing up. And Malik starts right off the bat here, um, giving Soong shit. First, there's a real, you know, Malik is still flexing his nuts, testing Soong's limits, Soong still very hesitant to try to pull some kind of trigger on Malik. So essentially grounds him from being in charge, tells him to go fix the engines for a while. Malik starts shitting on the idea to go to the briar patch. Yeah. And that's and, the second know, scene, you know, is that? yeah. Later on that happens. And that's when they get into the discussion about Khan and bring up the botany bay and say, you know, that Malik is so he's such a Shakespearean over actor with his villainy uh, that. You know, he he thinks that the only thing Khan fucked up was running away at the end. You know, he's th- that kind of guy. He's he's super ride or die, and it's time to fight now. Tragic short-sightedness. Yeah. So much ambition 
so much aggression that it overrides any kind of sense. And it all plays into the efforts that Soong is making to correct the obvious flaw of the augments, which is to tone down the aggression and the uh, violent tendencies. Because that's what's what's blinding this guy and the entire operation. Like, dude, we've got 1,800 more super soldiers that we could thaw out and take over the fucking galaxy. And instead, you want to take 12 of us in a beat up, which I was surprised later on when they said that Enterprise could outgun. This is what a D2. Is that what it is? Well, it's just a bird of prey. So this was a, a ship that would have been probably a threat to Enterprise in season one. But remember after the Expanse, when they fought the bird of prey that Duras was the captain of, and they just wrecked it. Yeah, they so really wrecked it. They played him with like a, they got him with the top gun, slam on the brakes, shoot him from behind. But they got him. And so evidently Federation weapons technology has continued to advance to the point where they are actually able to outgun the smallest Klingon mm-hmm. stuff with their Shout best out Reed. Shout out yeah. Reed. With their best ship. With their yeah. best ship. You know, they can beat the worst Klingon ship. Still a pretty big power gap there, I think. But yeah, Malik's like, uh, you know, Khan's issues this, going into the Briar Patch, hiding, uh, incubating the rest of these people, building up a force. Like, that's a shitty idea. And Soong's like, okay, well, what's your idea then? And he's like, well, uh, uh, okay, you don't have a fucking plan. We're doing my plan. Get the fuck out of my face. Um. It's after that that they have the conflict over DNA, changing the genomes, where Malik is insulting Soong's attempts to take the aggression out of the genome uh, because he sees these things as sacrosanct. It is perfect that they should be aggressive. He sees his aggression in what he's trying to fix and therefore considers it a vital uh, piece of the puzzle. And then trying to remove it is like trying to remove their identity. Meanwhile, Soong's like, listen, man, you guys are ancient. Genetic engineering sucked. Science was limited back then. Uh, I am a super genius. And I am smarter than the guys that made you. And I'm just trying to fix limitations of the technology. Like, I'm trying to give you guys USB-C so you're not running around here with fucking parallel ports anymore. And it's a very interesting ideological uh, disagreement between the two of them. And soon drops a line on him and says, now, listen, I'm willing to overlook the things you've done. That's a hell of a olive branch because uh, Malik had disclosed earlier that, well, we don't have to worry about Archer. I killed him. Yeah. Killed Archer, uh, killed Malik or killed um, Rahim. uh, killed Rakim. I don't think he it ever becomes explicitly uh, aware to Soong that he killed Skrix or whatever his name was. Oh, yeah. Snipe or whatever. I don't think he even gets mentioned in this episode. Which is a shame. I think that needed to be a scene in the uh, in the brig later on between yeah. Archer. Archer needed to mention it like was it not clear to you when he did this? And then he'd be surprised and be like, oh, you didn't even know, you know, like yeah, added to that part of the conversation. I completely agree. Bit of a miss that he doesn't get mentioned. I mean, at le- 
jumping to the very end, like when Archer shoots him, like, you know, that that's for Scrix or whatever, like, you know, how to. Or it could have been, it should have been, in my opinion, Soong that shot him. Soong, it should have been Archer who was being attacked like that and Soong who killed, killed Malik, ultimately. <laughs> Spoilers all up in this bitch. Yeah, uh, you're absolutely right. And I didn't even think about that. Uh, but what an olive branch to to put out through the sky. Soong, arguably the smartest person that the show has had on the screen up to this point. Agreed. Again, perpetually blinded by his love yeah. for his children, where he should see that Malik is a fucking problem, and this guy should be in a brig, if not jettisoned out into space. Like, the dude's a fucking murderer and wild. Finally, uh, Adam Smasher is like, hey, I got a baller-ass plan. Check this out. Um, on top of killing Archer, I also stole all of the fucking uh, viruses off of Cold Station 12, you know, before killing everybody with what was left with their silly HVAC system. Let's get this and we'll go find some bullshit Klingon colony and we will 9-11 them with it. And the Klingon Empire will go to war with the Federation and they will keep each other busy while we go grow these super soldiers like you want to do. Because his concern is that the Briar Patch is a incomplete plan because with enough time and resources, the Federation can get in their map and find them and neutralize them. Which is a fair concern, but his plan B is literally genocide a bunch of Klingons to force an interstellar war. And which Earth I, will assuredly lose. And I do love so much of the face acting, kind of the subtle stuff that Brent Spiner gets to do again. When he's like having this conversation with Malik and Malik was trying to sell him on this idea. And he knows like, oh, fuck. <laughs> like, I, I, there's no considering this idea. But now I have to deal with the fact this is your idea. I've already know I'm having trouble controlling you. And now you're jumping right to genocide as the, the, the thing we have to do. Oh, no. No, so, no, 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 no. And it's on his face. The character flaws of Sue is his arrogance. A, that he could possibly be wrong about these guys and that everybody else is right and that augments are always going to be evil. B, he's got Adam Smasher questioning his authority and coming up with these ridiculous plans. And instead of taking them up, be like, listen, let's let's take let's take a knee here. OK, what you're doing, what your plan is. Is evil and you guys lost the first time around because you were acting evil and you're forbidden on earth because there's a presumption that you're going to be evil again. And what you're doing right now is fulfilling the prophecy. So we cannot do these things because it makes you evil and makes everybody right and makes, you know, this entire thing wrong. So like, let's not be evil. He's not willing to have that moment with Malik, which is kind of, it's not kind of, it is silly because later on he will have that conversation with other, it was a Perseus. Yes, it was. So, like, maybe if you would have taken five minutes with Malik and been like, let me explain myself. Because Malik, I like that when he's trying to co-opt Perseus to go along with his mutiny, he's like, uh, father's plan is bad and I've got a great plan and he won't even consider it. Like, the, again, there was a hubris there from Soong of just like, 
fuck your idea. We're doing my idea. Why? Because I said so. I'm not going to take the five minutes to give you the talk about good and evil that maybe might have like dissuaded you a little bit. Although you have just killed two of your fucking brothers. So like you're probably <laughs> beyond redemption, but still there's no effort. There. And there's, I can sway the crowd by using the arc. Like if I can isolate you right, by that's making it clear it. you're fucked up. You know what guys? Hey, Get everybody up here. We're going to do a quick ice cream social, and I'm going to talk about why we cannot uh, AIDS bomb the Klingons. All right. <laughs> You're, we're already at four wanted stars. All right? Like, you want to make it five? So anyways, yeah. In conclusion, we cannot be evil because that's what caused your downfall before, and it's wrong, and women and children and all that stuff. So now that I've put my reasons out there... Um, Everybody who does not want to be evil, move to the left side of the room. And Malik, you can be on the right side of the room. And, you know, we'll let the numbers work themselves out. Instead, uh, he's got this. I'm a super scientist, Rick Sanchez. I'll be in my lab. And gives Malik basically free ability to go sow the seeds of uh, mutiny while he is doing his genetic engineering. Meanwhile, on uh, the chase sequence, they do initially run into the bird of prey. And as the first act of trying to ditch Enterprise, they take that poor Denoblian pilot that they uh, incapacitated at the end of the first episode, dump her back into her ship and then like sail it into a gas giant. And say, you got six hours to get her out of there before that ship burns up. So you're going to have to let us go. Just because I can't let the uh, time we were wrong about. Carbon Creek and Detroit go mm-hmm. space facts. I, I do want to go ahead and point again. They alter their warp course mid flight faster than light, no left and right. So again, if we're violating physics, I can smudge a couple fucking decades worth of dates. All right, where Star Trek's not set in stone. <laughs> I mean, at least they didn't, you know, they fired torpedoes at warp. Well, that's because phasers, I think, cost more money. So. <laughs> I do like the torpedo effect more now that they actually have torpedoes, though. Big upgrade. A lot of good torpedo on torpedo violence. I thought that them dropping out of warp and jettisoning the Denoblian into the the death trap was a really cool special effects sequence. It was. It was where they spent most of their money. There, There wasn't much of a battle, really for the climatic battle sequence. They, they did a lot of the chasing pieces. All right, though. And that was probably the best part. Now, mind you, while Soong is telling Archer, the stakes of his uh, nefarious trap, he has laid enterprise totally could have went up and like fought the bird of prey and probably won, but instead they give him a chance to monologue, deploy the trap. Yeah. Six Uh, hours is enough time to blow you up and come back and get her. Uh, hey, yeah, I could just go over there and fucking beat your ass right now, apparently. Archer's decision to help the Denoblian instead of stopping him. Bad call and inconsistent character portrayal because this is the guy who just activated or tried to activate the self-destruct button on the station to kill everybody and then was expecting his ship to come over and suicide run like Archer just reminded us that he is willing to do whatever it takes to prevent this Klingon Federation war. And now he has thrown um, a solid win away to save one Denoblian 
pilot. Yeah, there had to be some other piece of the puzzle there that dictated that the rescue take priority. One life is something that Archer, I think, is very clearly willing to bargain for a successful mission at this point, particularly one that's not a member of his crew. Um, don't think that would have been consistent with his character. Not that that wouldn't have been an interesting thing to discuss about his morality. But while they're speeding away back again, um, we are you know, treated to kind of the last piece of the argument between Soong and Malik when uh, they're talking about that bombing. We've kind of already discussed that. Uh, when we return uh, back to Enterprise, we are... That's when they have to bluff the... the uh, Klingon ship. I want to point something out real quick. At this season... Have we seen the command room at all? No, like the one from season three, the Zindi one? Yeah. I guess maybe they might have been in there when they were doing their T'Pol trip scene? No, that was maybe? on the bridge. They were behind the okay. conference table. All right. I think that they're trying to spend more time back there now. They kind of filled that out more. I think ultimately getting rid of that room was good. Like, again, it keep your action on the bridge, right? It like, was not an impressive room. I mean, it did look like a movie theater kiosk. <laughs> And they got the new chair, right? They got what they want the chair in as many scenes as possible. That chair looks stupid. And it does, it's too big. It's too bulky. It's way too big. It looks out of place from a technology level. And when you get a real good look at it, you can see it's very clearly a uh, office chair bought from like Office Max that they put extra padding around the actual chair. And I don't think it would have looked good on the Enterprise E. And it really does not look good on the NX01. The bluff that Archer does, so they got a patrol that comes up on them and Archer's like, all right, get them on comms. We've got the translator working. Hey, I've got the chancellor. Leave us alone. You get too close. You're going to be, you know, driving a garbage scow. And it's a real nice example of how far along Archer has come as a liar. Season one, his bluff attempts were comically bad. And I think that we've had a real organic growth into Archer getting away with some some real whoppers. And he's had enough exposure to the Klingons now that him trying to emulate Klingon conversational uh, patter makes a lot of sense. Spent some he time spent, at Rotopente. He's learned things. Yeah. And that would have been a great fucking term. But like, that was really impressive, Captain. Like, how did you listen, dude? <laughs> I spent like three months at that fucking prison camp before you showed up to bribe the guards. Yeah. Me and space. Lo- oh, God. What was it? Yeah, it's Saul Gachman. Saul yeah. Gachman and I <laughs> put three solid months in at the fucking uh, polar clink. Like, I know. <laughs> All right. Um, Which also, too, like by the end, there's some FaceTime with Archer and the other Klingons. It, there's no mention like, fuck you. I'm not negotiating with you. You're a wanted fugitive, bro. Yeah, I'm killing you. He gets you. to go home at the end. They let him go. <laughs> you were like, kind of. Yeah. Not resolved. But. Uh, when we cut back to the bird of prey, that is when we have uh, Malik trying to get uh, Persis to back the play to get rid of Soong. That I want to say it doesn't really work in the sense that obviously Persis ever betrays Soong, really. Uh, but the conversation clues Persis into the fact that she's going to have to go along with this. Malik's very clearly willing to kill whoever he needs to. That will include her. And that's. 
it was, and it's smart that they had her say like, I didn't have a choice. He was going to definitely going to kill me. It is. It is. Uh, the flaw of this episode is that they are ultimately bound to fall in line with Star Trek canon because Rick Berman is willing to observe um, Gene Roddenberry's witches, wishes, whereas Bad Robot and Secret Hideout uh, were not. So they confront uh, Soong in his lab. They come in five deep. Adam Smasher's like, I'm in charge now. Uh, you're relieved. I'm going to stick you in your room. Soon gets his back up a little bit, but sees that, you know, this is not an argument. He's going to win. What are you going to do? Are you going to kill me? And Adam Smasher is, I don't think ultimately he's really out for Soong's blood. He feels that he's better, that uh, it is inappropriate for a human to be leading a augment should be the other way around, but he is still at this point has respect. And I think compassion for suing and doesn't want things to be any more violent or rough than they absolutely have to be. I mean, obviously he could have just killed him. That was never in doubt. Not, not even in Soong's uh, mind was that ever in doubt. He never tried to imply uh, the force of threat that he would personally be able to wield against Malik. Right. Mm-hmm. This is all down to who has the perceived authority of the group. And now Soong has lost it. Or at he, least he can't match the threat of violence Malik can bring to the table to convince those that otherwise might be not okay with it to just go along. He does stare down Perseus during the praxis and he's like, come on with the fucking. I think uh, that scene is establishing <clears throat> that of the rest of the group, Perseus is his favorite and ostensibly the last remaining good person on the ship because you know how this is all going to end, right? All these guys got to die. And if she's on the ship, that's not going to be possible to do. So, so there's, there's a, there's a dark fate for everybody awaiting by the end of this episode. She'll later come to visit soon. Say, Hey, you know exactly what you just said. I didn't really have a choice. This dude's nuts. Uh, here's some options to maybe stop this. And then soon's like, there's no way to stop him. I just need to get the fuck off of here and, and I can work outside of that. So she disables the security grid, comes and gets him, puts him in a skate pod to drop him out. And here is the bad. Uh, this is the bad part of the episode for me. The fact she doesn't just simply leave. Yeah. And if they'd put a piece of dialogue in where, Soong says, come on, you got to come with me. He's nuts. He's going to know you let me go. And he's he even going says to it. kill no, you. He, he says it to her. Like, as they're, she, he is bidding her a very tender farewell with a lot of pain on his face. He says, he, he may suspect you. And, I mean, like that, yeah, of course he's going to suspect you. Duh. He's going to probably definitely think it's you. Get on the fucking pod with me. He's going to kill you. She needed to have a line in there and says, I, it might, you might need me. You might need an inside man. We need to stop this. And I can't run away from this. You know, there is a tactical advantage to having the inside man that he would not really be able to argue with, uh, with logic. Instead, it's just, hey, thanks for getting me out of here. Hey, you be careful. Okay, see, I'm going to go back to this fucking flea bag motel 
the savage barbarian cave of quarters that I'm sleeping with this guy in. Um, so they jettison the escape pod. I, is the is the Adam Smasher seen directly after that, or do they pick uh, him up first? I think they pick him up first before we have the the end of the the Adam Smasher uh, storyline. I guess you'd say. Um, they get, yeah. pick up the distress beacon and haul soon uh, on board to have him in the brig. This is a great scene. As Archer enters, he starts yelling and Archer just has command of what's happening in their interactions in here. That is unlike their prior interactions where he's kind of wary of him. And Soong's kind of doing the, I'm manipulating things. And you don't understand me thing. Mm-hmm. Now it's the, the tables have turned. Archer has total control. Soong is the one that's clearly fucked up. They know he knows he's fucked up. That's why he's there, right? He has escaped to them. And Archer knows from the start that's what's happened. You, I know that they discuss later. It's like, I believe him or whatever. It's like, no, he knows the fact after the exchange they had in Cold Station 12, after seeing the look on his face, after seeing the fucking corpse in the kill box, after seeing the other one die, he knows why he's fucking here, right? Shit has gone out of control and you don't control them anymore. That was clearly what was about to happen. And so I don't think he ever had need fucking soon to tell him that. He knew it. Well, you know, he makes a good point early on where it seems like, listen, divert your course. Uh, there's a terrorist plot that they're going to go dump space aids on a planet and incite a war. And he's like, well, I don't know if I can trust you. Uh, oh, yeah. Clearly, you've shown that you're willing to do whatever it takes to thwart us. I think we were just getting too close and you're here to distract us and send us on a wild goose chase. That's the problem with dealing with Rick Sanchez is you never know for sure. And, you know, soon is is right up with the Romulans in terms of treachery. Uh, but Soong is shook and making frantic pleas of humanity to Archer of, listen, man, you got to believe me. Uh, this is bad. I didn't know how bad it had gotten. I didn't know that he had stolen all the fucking bioweapons out of uh, the umbrella facility back there. Like, please, you got to help me. This is where Archer needed to tell him about Snicked. Yeah. And, and really break down here. the wall. Need to see the genuine shock. But still, uh, there's a there's a great line here. It's even in the memory alpha, and I appreciate that. Uh, when Archer, um, you know, is trying to walk away or is like in that second phase of that conversation, and Soong says, you saw what he did on that station. You know what he's capable of. And Archer replies, you didn't know. You had to see him murder someone in front of you. And the way that he says it, like, oh, I'm sorry. You actually thought this was all going to work out. You actually thought this your caper was going to succeed. That you really had cracked the code and these was the next generation of humans. That you didn't think it was going to go exactly the way it went before. Holy shit. I had no idea you were that stupid. You know, like you're the smartest stupid person I've ever met. Where do they drop the line superior ability, superior ambition? Right after that. It's like... Uh, it's in their nature, superior ability to breed superior impression. One of the creators wrote that and he was murdered by an augment. This is important because you jump back to the debate with Malik. Uh, is the enhanced aggression and violence a feature or a bug? And Soong's arguing it's a bug. It's a limitation of the technology here. Archer's confirming 
this was an intentional decision made by the genetic engineers who built these guys. Uh, this is the way they are supposed to be. And the, even the guy who made them vicious murderers died to them. So like this whole thing was botched from the beginning. I'm guessing that Soong developed the uh, techniques to edit the violence and aggression while he was locked up in Starfleet prison or Sound Earth like prison. It, yeah. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, he would have arguably edited them before he hatched them on wherever the fuck he was. Why did he leave? How did he get captured? What was the terms of that initially? Like, why did he, how did he initially separate from the colony uh, and fall under Federer? I think they implied he was out getting supplies and got just picked up by the like a bounty hunter and the or the earth police somehow he fell into their hands because they were looking for him since he stole them and that'll be part of his pleading later on is like you know this wouldn't have happened if i would have been there to steer them and and be a a present father and archer's like just a great scene between him and archer just overall very much worth watching great acting by both actors to deliver again on a very stage style scene that's constrained in a a known set where you just got two actors who just kind of kind of go after each other Mm-hmm. Good content, man. Speaking of actors going after each other and two people, uh, cut back over to again. You know, it's the so most uncomfortable bedroom scene Star Trek has ever created. <laughs> Looking at the Klingons as savages living in filth and squalor like barbarians is very next gen. I mean, that's everything you saw. Uh, the story that we get an enterprise that uh, the Klingon dynasty is a fallen empire. Right. Like, was there a point where hygiene was a high priority for the Klingons and like, you wouldn't just be living on a pile of fucking dead animals or you're blaming, you're blaming, you know, the Klingons solely for this, but boy, what a whole picture this is. Okay. Imagine you're this poor actress that had to play Percy. So like, okay, today, uh, we're going to do your death scene. Uh, we're going to start by oiling you up and then putting you in some, uh, f- you know, Federation uh, uh, boxer briefs and uh, uh, nightshirt. You are, will be ambiguously post-coital with the man who's about to murder you. Uh, also, it is like 40 degrees in there. So prepare for, for him to be rock solid. The nipples we're, we're getting into in a minute, but I'm just saying like, the idea that the Klingon officers, because I'm guessing this is the captain's quarters that yeah. Adam Smasher has taken. Like, there's like a nice like end table with a beautiful vase up against the wall, but then like there's the bed, which is a pile of animal hides. Correct. And this is what she's sleeping on, which does not look comfortable. So, like, do you think the Klingons always had this savage element to them, or do you think that's part of the Empire in disrepair? I think this part has always been the savage part of them, right? Like a lot of warrior men decorating their room with their kills, particularly like officers and captains. That's a good point as they did introduce in the Saul Gachman episode. Thank you again for whoever uh, suggested that name. What was the name of that lawyer episode? I forget, but we're all, we certainly know what one we're talking about. Um, There are different casts. There's scientists, there's 
something warriors. else in there's warriors. warriors. So I, I, yeah. yeah, I can see that as being like, you know, that's always been these dudes thing and it's gross. Yeah. You know, it's gross, but unfortunately everybody's a warrior now. So it's just in vogue, uh, switching over to the nipples. <laughs> of course. Yes. It is impossible that nipples, especially lighted the way they are, where it's just plain as day is not a intentional design choice by the director or upper management. Yeah. Because if you didn't want them there, you'd be like, Hey, put a stuff, some tissues or make them go away and you warm, can make warm them up. <laughs> like someone can go warm up. This is, uh, this is that shit that had seven and nine in the baked potato suit. Like this is intentional. This is, we can get away with it and we're going to do it. And there it is. Uh, she's laying in bed. Adam smash is like, gee, I wonder how Rick Sanchez got out of his cell. Who could have the codes? Oh, I don't know. Well, I like how she throws the other dude under the bus and he's like, okay, cool. Well, let's go torture that guy. I, I got to think in her mind. She's like, why didn't I just, you know, I'm smart. I'm super smart. I'm super strong. Why? Why didn't I just get on the goddamn escape pod? Like, what the fuck's wrong with <laughs> why me? Am I, why am I here? Why did I think I could do anything? Yeah. Like, is Adam Smasher's dick that good? <laughs> so she rolls out of bed and grabs a dagger on the wall. They get in a little tussle. She cuts him, gets some ketchup on his shoulder. Uh, and then I was very surprised to see that he just fucking murders her ass. It's a pretty metal murder by Star Trek standards. Just jabs the knife in her side. She's dying. Literally steals her last breath with a kiss. And then like just leaves her on the ground and then goes to do more evil. I mean, that's 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 again, that's some Shakespearean shit right there. Interesting they don't show the penetration of the knife. I mean, they're trying to keep it PG. Yeah, know? but they showed uh, Degra getting shanked. And they held, they showed a guy last week getting tortured to death with blood coming out of his orifices by space diseases. Jump I back to the shoot and we had someone getting their fucking throat slit over a Snickers bar. I think they probably got some notes saying, calm it the fuck down. Listen, you can have blood or you can have nipples, but you cannot have blood and nipples. So, LeVar, you need to decide what's more important to you. <laughs> I, I honestly do. Even finish a sentence, LeVar's like, nipples. <laughs> whatever the whatever the question is, the answer is nipples. But I, I do think it was that they were told to calm it down. Because that torture episode got, caught up, got cut up in a lot of rebroadcasts. Apparently the knifing scene here even got uh, completely taken out uh, in a censorship move in some markets in the UK. Perseus has died. There are zero good guys on the ship. Yes, that's very important exactly to your thesis. Exactly what's going to happen now. Yeah, very important to your thesis. Had she had to go, otherwise Archer and blowing this thing up wouldn't have been morally justified. But now we're all black hats, and the end of the conflict comes with them attempting the virus bombing. Um, oh, uh, they got intercepted briefly by a D five battle cruiser, which would definitely have outgunned them. And they pulled a very interesting trick of dropping out of warp and then using the grappler to basically pull off a nacelle enough that they couldn't form a warp field and then they could go get away again, which I thought was very clever attempt to do something non-standard in a, like a space conflict. It's amazing. And that move right there alone, I would say, let's jump to lower decks for a minute. 
there's a quick shout out talking about grapplers and them saying grapplers are awesome. And I was like, grapplers suck. Okay. Now I see. Yes. Grapplers are awesome. And, uh, every ship should have grapplers because what we just saw there is that grapplers go through shields and that is badass. Again, there's a face to face, uh, view screen conversation between, Archer and this Klingon captain. And at no part does a Klingon captain say, you are a wanted fugitive who has escaped Ruapenthe and I will not negotiate with you. And also um, your whole crew is going to die. Like silly continuity jump there, whatever. Badass escape. They zip back off. Malik acting like a real asshole. Yeah, he's doing his classic supervillain now, yelling at his own people, getting ready to do his super evil. Uh, boss, the torpedoes aren't ready. They're going <laughs> to. I figured they were just going to blow up in the ship and like kill all of them with their space aids. No, but no. But no instead, it's this pretty cool like uh, NX-01s trying to get there as fast as possible so they can shoot their torpedoes at the torpedoes that the uh, Bird of Prey have shot. And sure enough, a bullet hits a bullet, right? They come out and they, you know, fire a bunch off and they hit the virus torpedo before it can impact. But in expending all their effort to do that, they left themselves vulnerable to a flank shot and got their weapons busted down. And now they're down to just one phaser cannon and they need to be able to shoot this thing in the right spot. Fortunately for them, Soong knows where that is, tells them, shoot him here. It'll disable the whole ship. It works. There's good... uh further play of like, can we trust what you're saying? And soon having to like emphatically uh, plead, you know, we need to stop it. Listen to me. The bridge is shielded. Like what a treasure trove of information soon will be for Starfleet intelligence when he gets back in there. <laughs> like, tell us more about the weaknesses on all Klingon vessels. If you please. Right? like, <laughs> Archer dumps him off in the cell at the end of the episode and immediately some guy comes and goes, all right, come on. You're going <laughs> to show you some schematics. And you're going to tell us some things. You've got like two murders to work off, buddy. I don't know if you remember World War II, but all those Nazi scientists, they built rockets uh, for NASA. So hey, Ron was in Disney stuff. <laughs> yeah. There's go. profit for you in this. Let's go, buddy. Time honored tradition around here. Um, They hit him. They rock him hard. They're disabled. We've won. And this is where Malik becomes a real asshole. Like. The ship's fucked up. People are dead on the bridge. I don't know if it's a soon or Archer like, hey, listen, your guys are still alive. Like, let us bring you over. And he's like, nah, dog, I'm just going to blow everything up. I'm blowing up my breath. Yeah, there's 12 of us still alive. I don't care. I'm also going to destroy all the embryos. All of the augments will be dead forever. Because fuck you. Fuck you. I'm going out like he's the, the bridge is destroyed like Wrath of Khan. You know, they're trying to call that back from Hell's Heart. I stab at the boop, 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 boop. they're trying to set up that ending. I'll see you soon, which I assume meant in hell. But that's not quite it. The ship blows up. Uh, soon is crushed. That's his life's work gone. That's all of his children now murdered. Uh, that is his blindsided, uh, foolish belief that Mal, that Adam Smasher was not an irredeemable piece of shit that would be everybody's end, like thrust in his face. Luckily, uh, 
Reed was able to gun the the poison torpedo out of the air, which I'm sure looked cool for all the people down on the surface. <laughs> Lots of fireworks for them. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, as soon gets taken back to the brig with the excitement over, of course, what do we find out? Malik is trying to pull a quick, uh, you know, Mike Myers come, rises up from, from when you thought you had him to get one more kill in. Uh, he's on the ship. He wants to kill Soong himself with his bare hands because that's what the you know mono, mono maniacal madman does. There, that's what I was trying to say earlier. And it's a mouthful. That's a lot. <laughs> and he gets the the poor Mako, the nerfed Mako, <laughs> gets immediately one shotted. Uh, Malik is choking. Uh, uh, should have been Archer, but he was choking uh, Soom uh, to death. And then Archer raises up the same rifle, switches it to kill and plane shoots a hole directly in Malik's chest. And that actually Which, ends the threat. I don't think we've ever seen energy weapons punch holes out of people like taking core samples. But to be fair, it is a Mako gun. So it's built. Maybe to, that's it's built to kill <laughs> when it says when it's marked for kill, it means it. Yeah, when it's set to kill, it's shooting uh, 12 gauge slugs. <laughs> right through, the, and then it's pretty like he gets shot through the torso, and you see the comic hole through him, so you know he's super dead. And he just falls over. You are absolutely right. That should have been Archer being strangled, and it should have been Soong being forced to come to terms with the truth that's been in his face all along, and that is these things cannot survive. Yeah, they, he needed they cannot this, exist in this world. And now is a time to decide, am I picking humanity or am I picking my augment children and the augments have to go? It's like the decision from before was ended up being Malik's decision to kill everybody. You know, soon was just trying to disable the ship. This was the, the chance for him to make an affirmative choice that, yeah, this was a mistake and I need to put an end to it once and for all. You know, side and, note. They were not going to the brig. They were going to quarters that uh, Soong had already won Archer's um, trust. And that oh, that's right. Not- yeah. They're going to take him to a more comfortable locale from the rest yeah. of the trip back. And uh, they conclude actually back in his prison cell where uh, we find out that all of Soong's research is actually archived and used by Starfleet, or at least may be used by Starfleet in the future. So he is uh, doing his Nazi doctor thing in there and coming up with ideas that, um, you know, maybe there's they'll find purpose for. But Soong admits maybe working on perfecting humanity is a bad idea and there might be more, might be more in uh, robotics and androids that he should focus on. There's also a throwaway line that the Klingons were satisfied with uh, Starfleet's efforts to stop the augments and see a little, a little too pat, huh? A little too clean gloss over the fact they destroyed a D five cruiser that Archer is still a wanted man that they're shooting biological humans are shooting biological weapons at Klingon colonies and uh, destroyed property all over the place. The lost D two cruiser, yada, 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 yada. You know, if there's one thing we've stressed, it's that Klingons are not the kind of people to look at, clean facts and act reasonably so that swish and flick of the wrist that Archer is forgiven for all of these war crimes. Real silly, but 
whatever. So yeah, the, the low points of this episode for me is Perseus not being smart enough to get on the escape pod with, uh, soon without that throwaway line of you might need me on the ship uh and that the klingons forgive and forget past that though solid ass episode adam smasher for episodes two and three of this arc i think the acting really found its footing and he became a believable character uh and solid ass uh storytelling and just a plus 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 for brett spiner yeah, the, his winning streak continues. I don't think I can. It's not a word I would change about what you said, Peter. Uh, it's a great conclusion. Uh, whatever flaws it has are more funny nitpicky than genuine, aside from just a couple tweaks and conversations. And so, in the end, good job, LeVar. That's three in a row. That's three good ones in a row. You went out on not just a hot, uh, a high note, but a hot streak. So. We will we will stop besmirching your name. You deserve <laughs> you deserve a better reputation in the end. But wh- speaking of a show whose reputation has improved, what are we watching next week? Speaking of uh, Lavar Burton, we got the Forge coming up. The <laughs> Forge, there you go. Uh, that's going to be season four, episode seven. When Earth's embassy on Vulcan is bombed, the investigation put Archer and Paul on the trail of Vulcan religious faction hiding in a treacherous desert. If you are waiting for that stuff I told you was eventually going to happen, where they're going to give you like the best Vulcan content ever. Well, strap yourself in for another three parter, Peter. We're going there. We're heading down the road. Written uh, by Judith Reeves Stevens and Garfield Reeves. Stevens. We've got a husband wife combo here directed by Michael Grossman. Um, I, yeah, you know what the JJ Abrams Trek the what would they call him the no maybe this was a was it discovery where spock had to contend with the was it the logic fanatics was that they were called i i know didn't watch discovery you know all that much there were vulcan terrorists and they were called like the logic i don't know i'll have to do some research but i'll be very interested to see who these guys are All right, everybody, thanks for listening to Feature, please. And we'll see you next week.